You're an interesting man. Scott Lang. You're an Avenger. You have a daughter. But you've lost a lot of time. Like me. We can help each other with that. I'm the man who can give you the one thing you want. What's that? Time. Another Marvel movie has dropped, so it's necessary that I jump in front of the mic for another podcast segment on the Dark Spider cast to talk about it. And it's a very interesting time because I know that a lot of people's perceptions of the Marvel Cinematic Universe is pretty much changing. It's fluctuating in a way that... Even the main head honcho himself, Kevin Feige, is coming forward saying, yeah, think we maybe just, you know, I'm paraphrasing here, but I think maybe we're kind of doing a little bit too much. Let's go ahead and try to pare it down. So right now, they're trying to focus a little better on what is now being called Phase 5 of the MCU, and it's all being kickstarted by Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania. Finally managed to see it over the past weekend, so I'm going to be doing a spoiler-free discussion, a spoiler-free review, so to speak, for about 10 or so minutes, and then we'll tackle some spoilers, which aren't really all that much. In fact, most of the spoilery content that Phase 5 has, or at least, sorry, Quantumania has on Phase 5, as far as implications, as far as a stepping stone in that direction, is really, quite frankly, towards the end. And... Here's the thing, I think that's actually a good way to kind of embody how I feel about this movie. Because going in, especially in this last week leading up to its release, where we had the premiere so close to the actual release of the film, which for Marvel kind of makes sense, you know, and the review embargo being so close to the release of the movie makes sense. If it was any other studio, usually my my uh, stigma kind of comes into play in the sense that if you're not Marvel, then that usually means that your movie's probably going to suck. So in this case, it's actually like, okay, you know, maybe they there's some secret stuff, and I know that King the Conqueror is involved. Maybe there's some stuff that they're trying to keep on the wraps, just like they did back in 2019 with Endgame. Well, it seems like it's kind of a combination of the two this time around, where it was their self-awareness that they didn't necessarily have the strongest movie while at the same time also trying to keep some of the goodies that we did get here towards the end um, under wraps as much as possible. And here's the thing. A lot of reviews started to come forward. Some of them saying it's pretty okay. It's pretty middle of the road. And I even saw a couple of scathing ones. I think GameSpot gave it a 5 out of 10. There's a couple of others saying that it was a 4 out of 10. Some saying that it's trash, that's horrible. Me walking out, I breathed a sigh of relief in knowing that it was not horrible. It was not even bad. It's not great either. It's actually pretty on par with the... And I thankfully have seen other people as the weekend kind of unfold and we're still kind of seeing... I don't want to say the fallout, but we're, you know, we're starting to come close here towards the end of what is probably going to be the peak of Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania, especially as more words such as this starts to get out, that 
you, more people are going on Twitter, going on social media, saying that it's you know kind of like the other Ant Man movies where they're harmless, they're not terrible, but they're not great either. They're not even all that bad. They really are kind of middle of the road. So some people could perceive a five out of ten as kind of like average, just middle of the way, and then others could see five out of. I. Um, because of my upbringing, I usually perceive a 5 out of 10 as a bad score because generally anything lower than a 6 is like school level you know, mentality of grading where if it's under a 6, it's pretty much an F, a failing. So I'm trying not to, to see it that way. But it really is a sort of middle of the road kind of Ant-Man movie that is pretty entertaining when you're watching it. And this is going to fit into that tier of... That Marvel movie that you put on in the background when you're cooking, where you don't really want to focus all too much, but you do want to have some kind of background entertainment while you're cooking to make the experience of cooking, especially if it's something that's going to take a good amount of time and effort, feel just a little less tedious. Yeah, You know what I mean? Like, my girlfriend ever so often likes to put stuff on in the, in the background while she's cooking, either a, a show that she doesn't necessarily have to focus on, doesn't have like this expansive narrative, like Shit's Creek, or Modern Family, and from time to time, a Marvel movie that is not heavy on tone and and story. So ever so often, she'll put on a Marvel movie that we probably have already seen. Actually, I think a couple of times while we were cooking, she did put on uh, The Last Ant-Man, Ant-Man and the Wasp. So, you know, this is probably going to go hand-in-hand in that style of movie, especially when you're dealing with a movie that essentially... You know how TV shows sometimes have those bottle episodes? This kind of feels like a bottle episode, not just for the Ant-Man movies, but also for the MCU, because you have Ant-Man and pretty much his closer circle of characters, Wasp, uh, a.k.a. Uh, Hope Van Dyne, Hank Pym, Jenna Van Dyne, Michelle Pfeiffer's character, and now their teenage daughter, uh, Case, uh, Cassie, going into the quantum realm after they get trapped there because Cassie wanted to kind of experiment with the quantum realm, not knowing that Janet had a secret buried in there that she didn't want to have revealed but now is going to have to tackle head-on into something that they were just not expecting involving a certain conqueror and that's the thing by automatically falling into this template of plot there's a lot of characters that are going to obviously not going to be making a return you have those two characters uh, played by ti and david desmaltian are not coming back here uh there's going to be a couple of other characters like bobby kevin alley and judy greer um there's a, a cameo by a certain someone that I really wanted to see come back, but he literally just cameos at the beginning. He doesn't even have a speaking line, so I was like, oh, man, that's a bummer. But at the same time, he is going to be appearing in another Marvel property in full spades, so that's probably what he's getting himself uh, saved up for. So going into this realm, it perceived two things that I was concerned about. A, that bottle episode uh, type of template, and then also the way that it was going to be filmed. Quite frankly prequel Star Wars movie status where it's all in front of a green screen in fact when those trailers came out you see an awful lot of those comparisons to Spy Kids you see a certain someone in the background that's getting uh, compared to George Lopez's character from Shark Boy and Lava Girl and unfortunately after watching the movie those comparisons are still kind of there you know what I'm saying like I wasn't able to like not think about those memes, not, you know, put those themes, uh, those memes behind me. No, they were still kind of there. They were still making me laugh. They were still kind of popping up into my head ever so often. And as that unfold, and one of the reasons why those memes were still in my 
ahead was because also the narrative of the story and where you're kind of going in terms of certain characters popping up, what a certain character is going to say, what a certain plot thread is going to involve into, it's kind of been there than that. There's kind of some low effort filmmaking and screenwriting here and I hate saying that because now I'm starting to sound like those persnickety cinephiles that are like Ugh, the the Marvel movies are trash I you guys have heard from past reviews whether it be on my YouTube channels or on podcast form where I was really you know trying to be an advocate of, of Marvel you know I was there tearing up during the portal scene of Endgame you know I was there like oh my god this is everything I ever wanted I was there I was there. So to kind of come back full circle here about three or four years later to look at Ant-Man and the Lost Quantumania and go for like four fifths, not even three quarters, four fifths. So an even greater, you know, kind of fraction of the movie. I'm looking at the movie going, yeah, this is just kind of by the numbers as far as plot, as far as the characters. And for the most part, they are likable. You know, Paul Rudd is still doing his thing, being the likable Paul Rudd as Scott Lang. Um, there's some new <laughs> here's the thing i'll explain why i'm struggling here a little bit but there's some new characters included i mentioned that some characters didn't return from the past one there's technically one exception david desmalchian he pops up here as a voice for a new role but i'll let you guys kind of deduce or find out who that was and so there's some you know some some likability and then we get to arguably what everybody has already said, and I'll go ahead and just kind of toss my two cents in there as well. Jonathan Majors as Kang. Yep, he owns it. He owns it. He is right up there with some of the better villains that whenever he is on, he is on. And he is going to let you know that. And I've always I've always liked Jonathan Majors when he would pop up in movies uh, here and there. Yeah, I saw him in uh, uh, The Heart of They Fall. He was a great charismatic leading man in that movie. Uh, and then most recently I wrapped up the uh, Lovecraft Country. I was going to say season one, but there is only one season. Unfortunately, it got canceled. But uh, despite the flaws that that show had, one of my biggest highlights was him and seeing him work with Michael K. Douglas. I mean, not Michael K. Douglas. Michael K. Williams, I'm getting my, him and Michael Douglas in this movie uh, confused with here with the names, but uh, Michael K. Williams working together, you know, their performances were just outstanding, uh, along with pretty much the rest of the cast. Everybody is uh, top tier in that uh, that show, um, but he he was definitely a leading man. He's got that leading man quality, and I'm looking forward to seeing him as yet another villain that gets retconned i i tweeted about this uh that uh or at least i think i did i think i might have forgotten yeah i'll, I'll tweet it later but basically it's funny that in 2023 jonathan majors is playing a villain in the third entry of a franchise where he gets retrofitted or retconned into a character's past you know what i'm saying and that's uh, again factoring into that been there done that feeling from the script is that they're doing that thing where and i knew this going into the trailer like it was into the movie from just watching the trailers that they were going to do that thing where a character was there the whole time but for some reason they don't get brought up until now i'm a little lenient more with quantumania because this is chronologically this is supposed to take place not too long after they have just rescued uh hope van dyne and then there was the blip almost immediately they get you know janet did i say hope i'm sorry janet gets snapped along with the rest of the characters and ant-man has to fix this you know it this takes place not too long after the blip so there's 
very little catch up time for her, her to be like, yeah, there's, you know, someone named Kang down there and a whole lot of other stuff that you should probably not know about. But then we tackle some other recent blockbusters like F9, where Dom Toretto had a brother this whole time, yet in ninth movie in the franchise, you never bothered to bring him up. And now we're about to get it again in Creed 3, where Donnie had this guy that he ran with during his childhood, and they both got locked up, but he got released, yet he never brought this other guy up, at least from what I remember watching the Creed movies. So that is pretty fascinating that Jonathan Majors went with these two but at least he's making it his own and that's no exception with Kang the Conqueror he is definitely owning the screen I'm looking forward to his implications in the MCU as we go forward to the point where yeah I'll go ahead and say what everybody else has said as well he is likely going to be a good rival to Thanos as our next big bad and there's an interesting dynamic they play out with him towards the end but at the same time it factors into what makes Kang so intimidating but we'll tackle that in the spoiler section on the other side of the spectrum we have Cassie now I realize and I definitely did tweet this because this is one of my most volatile more violent guttural reactions that I had walking out of the movie is yeah I was, you know, before watching the movie, I was wondering to myself, even still after watching the trailer, it's like, why did they recast Cassie? Because I understand recasting her the first time because obviously there's a five-year gap after the blip. She's going to have to be older. They need to recast an older actress from the kid that was in the first two Ant-Mans. So from Endgame, why did they recast that actress to this one? Even though the age is still the same she's an actress i really liked you know her expression her reaction seeing her dad come back in that one scene from endgame you know i don't see what the harm was now after watching the movie i finally figured it out they wanted someone with with an even stronger resting bitch face to emulate the bitch inside of her teenage angst that i ultimately hated in this movie I don't know why they needed to resort to this archetype, but Cassie gets transformed into that stereotypical bitch teen that talks back to her dad. And it's one thing for that to be an archetype in just classic coming-of-age dramas that, you know, where the family's trying to figure shit out. It's another to implement it in a blockbuster where the literal title character helped save half of the universe. And the daughter still showing ungratefulness towards that. Alright? It instantly makes her unlikable. She is a fucking bitch. Pardon the language. But I just... oh, Right from the get-go, I'm like, alright, get her out of here. Get her out of here. Like, get her off screen as much as possible. And she starts to soften up towards the end. But there's just a way that the demeanor of this actress who... I got to be honest, I never liked because she's got that Kirsten Stewart type thing. At least Kirsten Stewart got better, especially after watching her and Spencer. I'm like, all right, she, she, you know, she polished herself up. I'm looking forward to what other stuff like this she does again. But this actress got that thing where she's always, she's always got her mouth open and she's always got like the same expression on her face, even though she's trying to emulate sadness or grief or man. But she's always got that again, that resting bitch face. And I know I've seen her before. She was most recently in Freaky and. Um, 
one other movie that was, you know, during the streaming era from the pandemic from 2020 till now. So she was pulled from that into being, her name's Catherine Newton. I don't, you know, wish anything bad on the actress herself, obviously, but it just did not work for me as far as Cassie. And the entire time I was just, I wasn't even watching her. I was just thinking to myself, just daydreaming, like what it would have been like if they had just kept that actress from Endgame. If she had her turn, and after reading a little bit of trivia as to figuring out what happened, even she doesn't know, the original actress. She was like, yeah, I just didn't get the callback. They just cast uh, this other actress, but I'm still grateful that I was in the MCU, and I'm moving on. And I'm like, damn, okay, this is actually a legit demerit towards whoever the casting director, or if it was Kevin Feige himself, or whoever um, had their hand in this decision, because it ultimately at least for me and from what I hear an awful lot of other people hurt the movie. And even though I didn't perceive it in this manner, in this, you know, kind of uh, mentality, I'm saddened to say that this just gives ammo or fuel, or this just adds fuel to the fire of the people that want to start calling the MCU the MCU. You know, the conspiracy theories that, you know, that, they perceive that women are taking over everything. I don't see it that way. But it's hard to not see the optics of that. Most recently with movies like Love and Thunder. Shows like She-Hulk. And now this happening here. Where she's constantly antagonizing uh, Scott. Even though Scott is trying to be cool. And I'm like, bitch, what's your problem? And she's going with the whole, like, I'm trying to save the homeless dad. You don't understand. And I'm like, oh my fucking god so needless to say uh, on top of the screenwriting issues that i had she was ultimately the worst part about this movie that i could have definitely have done without and then as far as performances there's also some middle ground here where i didn't dislike them but at the same time i felt like they just kind of showed up michael douglas and michelle pfeiffer they're still likable as far as on-screen presence but they felt less like their characters from their past movies and they felt more like they just the actors you know what I mean just like the celebrities showing up in front of the green screen saying hey I am I'm here you know especially Michael Douglas I felt like he was just kind of here and just like hey you know like he he, he looked like he was having fun but at the same time he didn't he wasn't I didn't feel like there was a performance there if that makes any kind of sense you know what I mean and that includes also another actor that makes a cameo here even though the cameo was slightly spoiled in one of the trailers I'm going to go ahead and just not say it here, but you'll see this this actor, you know, he's a comedy legend, even though recently he's been doing some weird stuff behind the background that um, is saddened to hear. So dude needs a reality check. <laughs> and I've heard that he's a little difficult to work with, but he pops up here and he was also in that same kind of um, same level of energy where he just felt like, it just felt like he just showed up. You know what I mean? Like I... And if you're just going to show up for the check, then at least do something with it energy-wise. So that ultimately leads to the ending where we do start to get the the meat to chew on as far as a Marvel fan, as far as a MCU fan, and kind of just speculating and tossing ideas of where things can go further into the what a lot of people are starting to call now the multiversal saga. And that is another huge strength about the movies that there is some meat here to chew. Unlike Phase 4 where things were just kind of middling and I'm like, 
what are we really doing here? And again, to kind of reiterate what some people have already, you know, put forth as far as analogies, it felt like side quests. It felt like you got done with the main story and now you're just doing a bunch of side quests. And I feel that same way about Phase 4. This movie, Quantumania, entering Phase 5, finally does feel like a legitimate first step in the right direction for a clear focus. And I got that feeling walking out after watching the the two end credit scenes. I'm like, yeah, this actually feels a bit more surprisingly, despite all of its flaws and feeling like a, a middling movie. It has a much more clear focus than some of the other Phase 4 entries that just felt kind of plopped here and there. And when I say Phase 4 entries, I'm talking both movie and TV show. Whether they start off strong and then end terribly like Miss Marvel or despite how solid they were all the way across. But um, I'm still asking myself, how is this guy going to fit into the grand scheme of things or is he going to do that even at all? Such as Moon Knight. Moon Knight is a show that I liked, but... I'm like, okay, you know, how is he going to factor in or should he factor in? And if he's not, then at least let me know ahead of time. That way I can at least, you know, just kind of temper expectations. As far as where I sit on Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania, like I said, felt right on par with the other Ant-Man movies where I didn't love it. I liked it enough, but and but there's definitely some, some problems that kind of pull it down. And I was going to go with a 7 out of 10. But the stuff that was happening with Cassie and how much she was legitimately angering me and how slightly tired um, I am of seeing the rebellion uh, story arc or subplot where you have one character saying, we don't trust you. You know, we're trying to form a rebellion, but, you, you know, you can't help us. And in the end, you can kind of tell where all this is going to go. Again, it irks me a little bit more because I am a screenwriter I am planning on going into that field as far as writing and directing film it's you know it, it's the blade kind of cuts a little deeper and because of that I think I'm gonna have to pull it down to a six out of ten which is still technically an okay score but this is the first movie uh, in a while especially for the MCU and don't get me wrong there were some other entries in the MCU that that felt like this especially love and thunder but this also still kind of carries that um I don't want to call it the stench but the stamp the labeling of feeling like a very much a manufactured movie and not so much a produced movie or a film. It, it does feel like something that came out of a factory, even though, you know what this feels like? It feels like a frozen food. It feels like a frozen food that is processed, it's flash frozen, but there are still some things in there that were kind of tasty, like having one of those Stouffer's Fettuccine Alfredo's, where yeah, you taste the, you know, the the, the the flash freeze on it you can taste the production on it where it's like mass produced you know it came out of a factory but you're hungry and there's actually some decent chunks of uh chicken and fettuccine alfredo cream sauce in this that i'm like mm, that's actually a little a little tasty here even though um there was that piece over there of, of rubberized chicken that came a little bit that came with a little bit too much fat and i'd rather just throw that to the dogs in other words Cassie in this movie <laughs> and that's why that's ultimately the best analogy that I can come up with here with Ant-Man and the Lost Quantumania after dealing with my spoiler free review so let's talk a little bit more about those spoilers which again for the most part aren't really much until we get towards the very end here where we get our dealings with Kang Jen kept that a secret it finally comes to fruition that he wanted to escape or does he? 
that's where I think we are going to have a little bit of of um, mixed reactions of how Kang went out or did he not go out. This is actually also another conversation that me and the girlfriend were kind of having as we were walking out where it did look like that was not part of the plan for him to get shrunken down into that device that was powering the portal for him to wanting to escape. Um it, it did look like that was unintentional. He didn't look like that was uh, like he meant for that to happen. You know, he looked like he was in pain and it did look like he was defeated or, or killed. But I do like hearkening to the comics and the actual um, aura or the, the, the stick with Kang from the comics that at the end of the day, as he's going about his business, happy go lucky Scott Lang after picking up that terrible cake. Even he himself starts tilting his head saying, we did beat him, right? And the camera just kind of tilts and, and, you know, kind of blurs out of focus in the background. And I'm like, there it is. There it is. And obviously being, you know, a comedy or at least, you know, leaning more towards comedy, it just goes back to normal like, eh, we're, we're, we're fine. You know, everything's fine. But of course, I, I suspect they didn't want to have another they didn't want to copy and paste the tone that they were going for at the end of Ant-Man of the Wasp where everything seemed like everything's happy and then we get the snap that gets rid of uh, Hank, Janet, and Hope. So I get that they didn't want to replicate that a little bit too much, but there was a part of me that kind of wishes we would have seen that in the main movie before we get to the end credit sequences. But it did at least transcend the message that ultimately Kang is a time-traveling cockroach. You cannot get ri- you can step on him and kill one. He will pop up either yesterday and you will start seeing, you know, statues of him, you know, taking over civilization or he'll pop up in a couple of weeks saying, "Hey, I'm here, you know, I- I'm a good guy. I- I'm I'm here to help you guys." But he's not really. And you just don't know where or rather when He's going to be making his appearance and in what kind of format, what kind of costume, what kind of arsenal and weaponry he's really going to have up his sleeve. And I think that was hammered well, not only with that ending that you saw him, you know, technically get defeated. But then we get the end credit sequences, which is where we get the scene in the Coliseum where uh, a shit ton of kings from all different timelines and cultures, etc., were being called on by the main hierarchy or the main council of Kang. And it's cool that not only we get the implication of how heavy of a of a threat Kang is, where he's not even just a person, he's not a, 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 an individual. I think that's probably going to be one of Kang's greatest strengths that can actually top Thanos, is that he's almost less of a person and more of an element. He he's almost like water. Like if you if you you know you can't cut water. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? You like you can't uh, crumple up water and destroy it or tear it. It's like it's just gonna like just spread and, and sprinkle. But you technically still have water over here. It's just in the form of droplets. That's pretty much king. You know what I'm saying? Like he, he's yeah. You, know, you you can kill this one, but there's gonna be some others over here appearing. And I didn't notice at the time, but thanks to the power of TikTok and Instagram that were trying their best quick to spoil and thankfully I didn't see this until after I saw the movie that the way that these Kang were appearing in the Coliseum not only emulated a panel from the comics that was pretty faithful and a lot of people were actually ecstatic to see that being replicated in live action but the technology that was being used to 
portal or, or, or teleport all these Kang into the same environment is very pretty much identical. I think a little more on the white side than blue, but pretty identical to the portal that was used to give Reed Richards his entrance in Multiverse of Madness. So people are speculating if there's going to be some kind of tie-in there going forth into the Kang Dynasty, or should there be uh, a tie-in to Secret Wars. So that was pretty interesting, and that was, a, like I said, a very good end credit scene that I'm not going to say I got like hyped and like, oh my god, but I, you know, it's the kind of end credit scene that I look at and I kind of put on my De Niro face like, hmm, okay, you know, that didn't feel wasted or tacked on, that actually did feel like, hey, this is what we got to look forward to and talk about as we go forth. And it's also a very rewatchable end credit scene because, like I said, there's just so many king of different diversities and cultures wearing different outfits, some cool, some ridiculous. I got to be honest, I don't really... I don't know what it is, but I just can't take Feral Kang very seriously or um, Genghis Khan uh, Kang seriously. The other one, though, that's very like, oh, high society talking one. Um, it's uh, interesting that, you know, I reference him as the um, as a high society type of king because... He looks like he is, and this is actually, nobody has made this reference or comparison yet, so I could be in the wrong, but is it just me, or does his outfit look very similar to that of the High Evolutionary that's going to be appearing in Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3? In that, if that ends up being true, I'm willing to bet some money that when we enter Volume 3 in May, High Evolutionary is probably going to get the Ronin treatment. And I mean that both good and bad. Bad in the sense that he's probably not going to be that great of a villain. Because Ronin was just kind of meh. You know, just, just dude talking in the deep voice and that's it. But in the good that this is going to just keep tying to Kang being that higher power. That much heavier threat. Because, again, look at those outfits. He's looking very much like the High Evolutionary, so I'm almost willing to speculate that High Evolutionary is doing the things that he's doing in Volume 3. Like Rocket says, oh, you know, he, he didn't want things to be perfect. He just didn't want things to stay the way that they are. That sounds like a uh, Kang incentive if there ever was one. That sounds like something Kang would have in his mentality. And so my speculation is that High Evolutionary is not the sole bad guy. He's just a dude answering to a higher power, and the higher power is that other variant of King with the, you know, decked out suit. And so that's just pure speculation. Who knows? We'll see when we finally walk out of Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 and when I finally pop up in, in front of the microphone once again to talk about that movie. Uh, but yeah, that that's the thing is that we finally get some end credit sequences that give us some cool things to really talk about. Speculate, it's just a shame that we have to power through a pretty standard Ant-Man movie <laughs> to, to get to those points. And that also leads us to the second end credit scene, which is not really an end credits sequence or scene. They, they did that thing that they've done in the past where they just take a snippet of something pre-existing or that's currently filming and just splice it in here. In this case, though, I feel like contextually it makes a bit more sense and it just fits it just has this aesthetic about it that fits better like an end credit scene which is a clip from loki season two 
where we have a variant of Kang appearing in like old eight, late 1800s uh, America trying to introduce the concept of time. Unfortunately, he has to do it looking like Frederick Douglass. I don't, I don't know if that was intentional or what, but he appears and smash cut to my girlfriend's ovaries getting large. Uh, in other words, Loki appearing on screen, thus confirming this is a sequence from Loki season two that is definitely going to have some high implications on what Kang is doing and the timeline and the multiverse saga. So I'm looking forward to that whenever that rolls around, which is likely going to be like season one, which is June, July, somewhere in the summertime. So that's probably going to be one of our other things to really talk about as we uh, kind of unfold with the MCU plan in 2023, which is also hearkening to what I mentioned at the beginning of Kevin Feige saying he's trying to now, or at least they're intending, I don't know if it's actually going to happen, but they're intending to pare down the content. And in doing so, we only have two as of right now, they, that might change. But as of right now, we only got two MCU shows at going up on Disney Plus, Secret Invasion and the um, Loki season two. So and one of those, we actually already get a sneak preview here with uh with uh, uh and Man of the Wasp Quantumania. So for the most part, that's actually everything that I really did want to talk about. I know that people were roasting Modoc, and I understand their frustration with Modoc because they did that thing where it's Modoc, but it's not Modoc because they changed the background of the character, the actual source material, and it's angering people. I personally don't care about Modoc enough to get myself upset, but I understand. I, I definitely understand. Like I see people's quarrel with this interpretation of Modoc, especially since this is pretty much why they killed off the stop motion animation show on Hulu that Patton Oswalt was doing. Is you know at first the cancellation almost didn't kind of make sense, but now I'm like, oh, they didn't want to confuse that Modoc with this Modoc and have it be lived in in the same universe. So I'm like, all right, I guess it was more of a business decision. And so his implementation here, the only real part that bugged me about him is that it was just Corey Stoll being Corey Stoll, which is a shame because Corey Stoll is an amazing, it really is a great actor. I love seeing him in uh, Midnight in Paris as Ernest Hemingway. Uh, he was in the first season of House of Cards, and he was spectacular in that. So for him to just kind of sit in front of a green screen and then they just stretch his face onto this body, I'm just kind of like, all right, yeah, I can kind of understand people's problem. To me, it's just the waste of talent and, and writing behind him that bugged me a little bit more rather than his source material, especially with the whole don't be a dick joke at the end that I'm like, all right, yeah, I, I get it. Get him out of here. And they did. Killed him off, finally. Um... Outside of that, though, like I said, you know, a lot of those middling things that I'm tired of, I've already kind of spoken on. But the real meat and potatoes of this, like I said, frozen meal uh, that I actually did savor is pretty much almost everything involving Kang and the Multiversal Saga. So much like Captain America 3 served us mostly as a vessel for the Civil War storyline to kind of be almost like an Avengers 2.5. Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania serves as a vessel for just Kang to be introduced and for us to get a taste of what's to come later. As a movie, on, on its own merits, I, I it definitely 
struggles to stand on his own that it requires a little bit of crutches and again like i mentioned it's pretty much the perfect movie to just kind of have in the background while you're cooking something um so we'll see you in a couple of months quantumania when you pop up on disney plus because i think for a lot of people that are starting to experience that marvel fatigue which is likely coming which is likely the the case with a lot of these reviews that gave it that those scathing reviews that i i'm almost willing to bet that all of those reviews they gave it like a Four out of ten, five out of ten, and are calling this terrible and horrible. I'm not gonna say that you're, you know, in the wrong, but I think a lot of that is fueled by fatigue. I think a lot of those people were binging a little bit too much of the content day one, and now they're experiencing the fatigue. I was able to distance myself off it that I'm not fully tired of the MCU, but I can kind of start to feel a little bit of the symptoms. And that's why I'm not like fully on board with this movie, but at the same time, not against it, quite frankly, either. So if you guys are listening to this on YouTube, go to the comment section. Let me know what you guys thought of Ant-Man of the Wasp Quantumania. Was it good? Was it bad? Or was it kind of middle of the road like I felt like it was? If you're going to be posting spoilers involving King's involvement in this movie and what's going to be going in the future as his involvement in the MCU, make sure to put like some kind of spoiler tag, put a couple of uh, spaces to give some people ample time to kind of buck out. Otherwise, guys, thank you guys so much for listening. Hit the thumbs up button if you're listening to this on YouTube or the like or whatever it is that kind of helps out in the algorithm. Share it with people so that they can listen on your podcast platform of choice. Otherwise, I appreciate you. And as always, stay humble. Stay humble. Humble. <laughs> and I'll see you guys later. Bye. You thought you could win. I don't have to win. We both just have to lose. I'm sorry, Cassie.